Hello and welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks. On today's show, we're going to talk about plastic and how certification of recycled plastic can help keep the stuff in products and packaging and out of our oceans and waterways. A garbage truck load of plastic finds its way into the sea every single minute, but new ways are emerging to stop plastic from entering the ocean, collect it, recycle it, and put it back into the products we buy and use. But these systems are far from perfect yet. A new study by the Circulate Initiative called A Sea of Plastic Claims and Credits identified a range of problems in the way recycled plastic is processed and marketed. The report highlighted greenwashing by big consumer goods companies that use recycled plastic logos, the misuse of the term ocean plastic, a lack of transparency and traceability in the plastic supply chain, and the sheer number of schemes out there that are confusing companies and consumers. Today we're going to talk to Ryan Shenicky, the founder and president of a plastic recycling certification scheme called Ocean Cycle, which launched in 2019. Ocean Cycle is a Washington, D.C.-based social enterprise that provides chain-of-custody traceability from where the plastic is collected by informal waste pickers in coastal areas in Asia to the point of delivery to the manufacturer. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining the EcoBusiness podcast on what's a really interesting topic, um, the world of plastic and certification. Now, first of all, Ryan... Can you take us through exactly how the Ocean Cycle system works? Sure, yeah. So Ocean Cycle, we are a, um, a U.S.-based, what's called a public benefit corporation, um, which means we had to establish the company with a social mission, right? And the mission of Ocean Cycle is generally just to reduce the amount of plastic that flows into the ocean. But the reason that's important is because, you know, we, we are truly a social enterprise through and through, you know. Um, it's at our core. It's at the core of what we do. And you know, we focus on reducing ocean plastic several ways, but but probably the biggest thing we're doing is we've developed and operate this chain of custody system for ocean and ocean-bound plastics. And really what that means is that we are certifying recyclers in primarily developing countries, working with them to trace their material down to point of collection, and then developing a documented chain of custody from that point of collection all the way up through the chain, through manufacturing, or sorry, I just say through processing all the way up to shipment. Um, within that is an extensive social audit of both the recycler and the collection network. Um, and we use that to really introduce some traceability and also transparency into the system. So how much plastic are you guys certifying at the moment? Yeah, on a monthly basis, we certify anywhere from 1,200 to 1,500 uh, tons of plastic. Um, and that I think is, you know, when you look at what's out there between us and, and the partners that we have and the Prevented Ocean Plastic folks and, and others, it's it's the largest um, program out there, largest ocean-bound plastic programs there is. Considering the commitments are out there from the big um, consumer goods companies, Ryan, um, mm-hmm. uh, how much are you putting a dent in, in, in those commitments? I, you know, I think that even though we we're doing a, what we consider a good amount. It, it could certainly be much larger. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a drop in the bucket in terms of when you're talking about global plastic consumption or even recycled plastic demand, you know, but again, there's, you know, there's excess material in the system. Um, and, and I think, uh, you, you know, the, the way that the certification is designed as a, 
as a third party piece is designed to scale to meet a lot of demands that these brands have. And so, you know, we, we, we hope to be serving more of them. And how much um, more material is available than is uh, demanded at the moment, Ryan, would you estimate? Yeah, I would estimate that, that there's probably, uh, you know, a three or four times uh, more plastic in the system than what is currently being demanded, certified plastic available through the, the network that we have so far. And, you know, as we grow and expand, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll, double, we'll double our certified recycles, recyclers this year. So there'll be even more available. So I, I think the only, a lot of times the only piece missing is going to be demand you know really interesting great stuff okay yeah so on that demand it's obviously yeah we want more consumer goods companies to buy more of it to buy more of your stuff and and also of your competitors right to, to live up to the uh sustainability commitments that they've made right yeah absolutely i, I think we would you know we'd love uh coca-cola and pepsi and unilever and uh nestle and all those guys to be you know at you know 50%, 80%, 90% or 100% of their, uh, you know, their announced goals. All right, great stuff. We'll come to that. You mentioned social auditing and also the chain of custody. And we'll come on to that a little bit later because that's a really interesting piece of the chain. Um, mm -hmm. Now, first of all, for our listeners based in Asia, I want to talk about the Asia con connection with Ocean Cycle. So yeah. uh, where are your collection centers? You mentioned that you operate in developing countries where a lot of the plastic leakage is. Mm -hmm. Where in Asia do you have your collection centers? Yeah, yeah. So we work. Uh, we have partners in uh, in Thailand and Indonesia uh, primarily, and we're expanding into India and Pakistan at the moment. Um, but I should also stress that like the collection centers are not ours, right? We are a a third party that comes in and helps work with these recyclers to develop that system and that transparency and traceability in their collection network. So the collection centers could be uh, owned by the recycler or oftentimes they're owned by like by local entrepreneurs. Right. Okay. Got you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Thailand and Indonesia are the places where at least the, the plastic is picked up, right. That, that is eventually mm -hmm. used in, um, that you manufactured or, or recycled by you guys. Um, okay, so I want to talk about um, an issue in plastic certification that's been brought up by a recent report by the Circulate Initiative. Um, a claim that they make is that a lot of um, plastic certification and indeed credit schemes, which is a separate thing, and we'll come on to that later, but a claim that's made is that there are simple solutions to addressing the complex issue of plastic waste pollution. Um, now, I think you and I both know that that's not true. Um, where would you say are the links in the plastic recycling chain that are the weakest, Ryan, and most often break down that, that you guys have the uh, uh, problems with? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it can be a number of issues, right? And it's, it's uh, plastic is a global commodity and so, oftentimes you're you're at the whims of what's happening globally like right now one of the big issues that's affecting uh the demand for this ocean-bound plastic that we certify is uh is shipping rates right a lot of the demand for the material is in europe where they have where they're coming up on recycled content minimums and shipping a container of material from europe to or from southeast asia to europe is quite expensive these days but you know, generally in country, the links tend to break down along the collection networks. I mean, collection, especially during COVID, I mean, you have all this material is essentially collected by people. And so you're dealing with a people operation for the most part. And so oftentimes that's where it will break down. Um, 
and we work with it, you know, we have set up what well, we're really proud of this like social baselining and social auditing that we've set up. And so we use that to not only baseline the collection communities understand what's going on, but the ongoing monitor allows us to really determine the true needs of the community. And so um, the idea that, you know, it's a simple solution is, is certainly not true. It is quite complex, of course, um, you know, because it could be a matter of uh, logistics or uh, could be flooding in a certain area, those types of things. But I would say if we had to pick one overall issue, logistics is probably one of the biggest, the biggest one. Um, getting plastic from point A to point B or, or where it's collected in that, that coastal region to a recycler, um, oftentimes one of the biggest hurdles is the cost of transportation. That could be the difference between profitable and not profitable operations. And so uh, logistics and moving that plastics tends to be one of the big issues. Interesting. Now on collection, I remember talking to Coca-Cola a year or so ago, and they said the biggest mm -hmm. issue that they face um, in getting up their recycle content is in the collection piece. Now collection, um, as you mentioned, a lot of it is done in Southeast Asia where the biggest um, leakage uh, issues are. Now you mentioned um, social auditing, Ryan, right? So right. how does that work? How does social auditing work with uh, Ocean Cycle? Yeah, so we um, we have developed like a, a, a really like a survey system or an auditing process specifically for plastic collection based on our uh, you know years of experience in the field, um, working with some of the leading consultants in really like uh, child safety and those types of things, um, child protection, um, and so we essentially go in and uh, we we do we do a extensive audit or questionnaire of collection points and the local community to understand the needs and what's going on and, and the monitoring. And it, it really is, you know, it, it's really twofold. I mean, I think, well, I guess it's got three parts to it. You know, one is that, you know, we're trying to ensure that there's no, there's no child labor or forced labor in the system. Um, the second is we're trying to uh, understand the true needs of the community. So uh, because like Indonesia, for example, where we work, I mean, the the recycler that are, is our partner there collects from all over the country. And so the needs of the, the needs of the collider community vary from region to region. And so, you know, we're looking to identify what are the true needs, whether it's a collection center needs shelter or people need work boots or they need food or those types of things. And that's important for us because as a company, we do an annual reinvestment into the communities that we work in. And so we want to really get at the need. But the other piece is that, we you know, what we're finding out is that we're learning so much information about plastic flows in the local community that it becomes really helpful to the business operations of the recycler as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that social piece is important, especially now given COVID. And as we know that COVID has hit the informal um, waste management um, communities, particularly hard in South and Southeast Asia. Right. Um, so I guess yeah, that, that social auditing piece has been hugely important um, during COVID. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when, when COVID first hit, I, you know, we, we, we made a special effort to get on the ground in part in partnership with uh, some of the brands we work with and uh, the recyclers um, to do, a, you know, an, an injection of food and PPE into the communities. But as COVID continues to go, they continue to face challenges. And so, you know, identifying really where we can be helpful because, you know, the whole system starts with the people collecting. I mean, they're the base of the pyramid. They're really the most important people to the frontline workers and stopping ocean plastic pollution. And so if those communities aren't healthy or they're not functioning well, then the system's not working. 
Absolutely. Yeah. A very important piece of the, um, the puzzle. Right. So, so just to talk a bit about the, um, the report I mentioned earlier on by the Circulate Initiatives, an NGO that talked about the issue of um, not just plastic certification, but also credits. Now, one thing that um, sticks out from this report is that they claim there's no clear, consistent definition of ocean plastic, right? Yeah. So some, some, pe some people are calling it um, ocean plastic is plastic that's literally been uh, they, they lead consumers to believe it's literally been retrieved from the ocean, while others say that it's plastic collected from the land that has been mm -hmm. averted from the ocean. How do you right. guys define ocean plastic, Ryan? Yeah, so we we don't, uh, I would say that the report, you know, references the ocean cleanup and they define ocean plastic as plastic that comes from the water. And we, we would generally agree with that. The, the certification that that we have and developed, while it can certify that type of plastic, I mean, I would say probably, you know, 98% of what runs through the is what's known as ocean bound plastic. And the, the way we determine ocean bound plastic, it, it dates back to a paper uh, done in 2015, really what I would think what I call the seminal paper on ocean plastic pollution by a woman named Dr. Jenna Jambeck. And she did this paper seeking to find out, you know, how much how much plastic is in the ocean and how does it get there, right? And so they did a study of all the major countries. And so um, what they found out was that generally anything uh, within 30 miles, 50 kilometers of a coastline in an area that lacks a formal waste management structure will end up in the water if not collected. And so when we look at ocean bound plastic, you know, that's really our definition is within that 50 kilometers of the coastline lacking a formal waste management system. So informal collection networks, those types of things. And those are really the two leading criteria for how we determine it. Um, we're also, you know, we also use that report to identify problem countries. So as you mentioned, Southeast Asia is a, is sort of, I guess, a hot spot for plastic leakage into the ocean. Um, and uh, a lot of that came from that report. And so we use that to target those areas as well. But I would say, you know, in terms of definition and standards, you know, it is true there is, there, you know, no uh, association has come out yet with their standards or their definitions. Although uh, I think that ocean bound for many people has come to, um, you know, encapsulate this uh, 50 kilometers from a coastline lack of a formal waste management structure. And so what you see in the market is, is I think uh, inaccurate labeling of the material, you know, oftentimes ocean bound is labeled as ocean plastic, I think for marketing purposes. Um, very few people are actually using actual ocean plastic in products or recycling ocean plastic. I mean, ocean plastic is, you know, once a bottle hits the water or material hits the water, it's too late. It's, um, it degrades quickly from salt and UV, and it's just really not usable in a mechanical recycling process. Now, um, yeah, good point. Um, so, so what can it be used for? If anything, Ryan, could it be melted down and used in, a lot of people are talking about repurposing you know, lower grade plastic in, in roads and stuff like that. And then there also there's, there's millions being spent, aren't there, in uh, trying to clean up the ocean and take plastic out of it. So, mm -hmm. so you're saying that once that plastic is retrieved from the ocean by people like the ocean cleanup, et cetera, it can't be used for anything or what can it be used for? Well, I, I think, you know, in our experience, plastic that comes out of the water is not usable again in a mechanical recycling process. And that's most of what the global recycling is. It's a mechanical process. Now, if you're talking chemical recycling, I think you have a lot more, a lot more options, right? Because you can break down those plastics and then really essentially rebuild them. 
Um, but chemical recycling is not quite at scale yet. Um, so if we really want to address the problem at scale, we're dealing with mechanical recycling, which means we're really focused on prevention, not plastic in the water. You know, our, our view is you really need to turn off the tap, you know, uh, before you start, you know, going after the material in the water, you know, the ocean cleanup and, and others out there, it's true to their name. I mean, it's a cleanup effort, right? If you're stopping plastic from, if you're preventing plastic or diverting plastic, we would consider that a recycling effort. So, so we, they're a little bit different in our view too. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Um, now an important piece of ocean cycle and what you guys offer as a certified is traceability, which is hugely mm -hmm. important, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. And it's pretty difficult to actually tell when you're holding a piece of plastic in your hand, whether it's recycled or not, right? You need to take it to a lab and, and be able to tell whether it's where it came from. Um, now also recently over the past 12, 18 months, we've heard stories of say in factories in China of, of um, recyclers mixing virgin plastic and recycled plastic and mm -hmm. selling it as recycled plastic because of the uh, hugely high price of recycled plastic compared, compared to virgin, which is about double the price in some markets. Um, mm -hmm. Now, how do you, given all of that, Ryan, how do you, got, how do, you do traceability properly with plastic yeah. recycling? Yeah, so for us, it starts again at the collection point. Everything is anchored for us in the collection points. We, we map collection points or collector networks to this, this 50 kilometer distance from, from the water. And then there's a, there's a documented either electronic or handwritten receipt process that works its way through the chain. And then uh, once plastic is delivered from these approved collection points into a recycler, you know, we're tracking the, the, the production and the mass balance and flow throughout the system, right? So, so we'll have a, a record of the material that comes in um, and then we'll have a record of production and we'll have a record of shipments. And so we can then ultimately trace containers back through the process to the areas where that material was collected. Um, you know, the, uh, the recyclers we work with process at 100%. So they're, you know, they're segregating material on site um, and then segregating finished product and then moving that out. And then they, you know, we have a series of checks and, re and reports and documentation that would, you know, make it hard for them to sort of pull the slide of hand, but of, you know, uh, but we don't, we're currently not, don't have any, I would say approved recyclers within China, um, but we really focus on the recycling effort. So um, most of our certification is done at the recycler. Now we do, we have extended in, in our um, certification to manufacturing and that is in China. And the way we do that again is controlling mass balance, controlling the tracking of material throughout the system, physical audits, and those types of things. Okay, all right, got you. And so, what does what does an end product that's been certified by Ocean Cycle look like? Presumably, a, a, a consumer goods company that is using your recycled plastic can feature a logo on it. How does that work? Yeah, I think they, they can feature a logo on it. You know, um, we, uh, you know, one of, I think the differences between the way we, we operate and, and other entities in the space is that, you know, as a certifier, we're not selling the material, right? So the material is sold by directly by the recyclers or by, by another party. Um, you know, you can find a lot of the material that we certify um, in uh, Europe and the UK under a brand called Prevented Ocean Plastic. Um, and so they'll have their logo. They are sold in, you know, places like Little and other other grocery chains around the U.S. In fact, they actually just received an award um, in partnership with Little for Sustainability Initiative of the Year. Um, but that it's for food packaging, so like fish packs and chicken trays and those types of things. You can find Ocean Cycle material in um, 
water bottles in the U.S. in a brand called Zen Water, which is a great um, and growing brand. And then it, um, you know, in a number of textile applications, we work with the, you know, with a lot of the major um, our pet yarn and, and, and fabric producers. And so uh, you can really find it anywhere. Okay, all right, good stuff. Now, um, going back to the Circulate Initiative report. Now, one issue that um, the report points out is that plastic certification schemes often ignore the link between the impact of, of plastic on, say, aquatic ecosystems, pollution, that sort of thing, and climate change. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you mentioned earlier on in our discussion, you mentioned uh, shipping and how expensive it was. Um, but there's also a, a carbon cost to sure. um, to recycling because of shipping these uh, waste plastic around the world. Does does your scheme um, account for the carbon cost of uh, of that shipping piece? Well, it can certainly be tracked. Right. I think that, you know, when we start talking about carbon and life cycle analysis and those types of things, it can get very complex and it's, it's source and destination and, all, and even product specific, right? So, so we, we, do, we would not uh, undertake, nor are we experts on putting in LCAs for everything. We can certainly track, you know, um, carbon offset by using uh, recycled versus virgin. You know, when you're talking about shipping on cargo containers, you know, uh, that is probably one of the lowest carbon footprint modes of transportation. Um, and so uh, pretty much all the material is going to move through that. I mean, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's certainly recycling and, and reusing in a circular economy is all linked to climate change in some way. Right. And that's, what's driving a yeah. lot of this. I, uh, um, I would, I think that, you know, the, the primary, you know, carbon, you know, output and greenhouse gas output is in the extraction and production of virgin plastics. So by recycling, I think we're at least providing a second use and, and avoiding, you know, some of that virgin material. Okay, yeah, uh, I'd also like to ask you about the future and how you see it. I mean, obviously, there's, there's no certification system or, or, or part of the, the plastic value chain that is perfect yet. Um, mm -hmm. What do you hope the future looks like? What does it look like for you and perhaps where you guys are progressing or headed to? What's the future yeah. look like for plastic uh, recycling certification? Yeah, I well, I you know, I, I I think it's bright. I mean, I think we 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 we're you know we we feel positive about the future. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this day in and day out. Um, you know, I, I think I, what we see is that a lot of what drives you know there are some brands out there who want marketing value. Some brands out there who just you know genuinely want to have a social mission and want to meet that mission. But what's driving a lot of the material we certify is policy, you know, policy in, in Europe and those types of things. And so, you know, what we would hope to see is more policy, particularly in the US, you know, recycled content minimums or those types of things that are gonna drive more recycling activities. They're gonna drive um, more collection and more, and, and more, you know, processors to get going because, you know, and I think you've discussed this on other podcasts is that, you know, recycling has faced a lot of hurdles over the past couple of years. And you've had a lot of people shut down so you have a lot of material that might've been getting collected a couple of years ago, which is not getting collected now. One of the things that could, I think, really help are, are some policy changes and those types of things. But, um, you know, we also in the U.S. have to lead by example. I think we, we often look overseas and, and see a problem. And, um, but, you know, the U.S. is still the number one plastic consumer. We don't recycle a lot. So I think we have a lot to do in the way of example setting. 
Indeed, yeah. In, in this part of the world, Asia as well, there's, um, I think that policy piece would help hugely. You mentioned recycled sure. content minimums. Um, the big multinationals, I think Coca-Cola, it gets so much bad press, doesn't it, for, for being the world's biggest plastic polluter. But I think mm-hmm. according to... Um, uh, Ellen and MacArthur Foundation data, they use more recycled content in their products than any other company. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly a policy to ensure that um, these big plastic users and producers use more recycled plastic would be hugely helpful. Um, what about on the technology piece, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's companies out there that are doing some interesting innovations, for example, in digital barcoding putting a digital stamp on uh, products and packaging to help recyclers know how to recycle it and also help consumers to know what more about what they're buying. Um, what yeah. do you see in, in, in terms of how technology can help um, your space? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there, there, there are certainly a number of things that can be done with plastics, you know, tracers and, and those types of things uh, that, that can be put in that can help, you know, recycling systems and you know, the mechanical recycling process better identify what's coming through the stream. You know, I think, uh, you know, so there is technology, chemical recycling does pose some, you know, some promise, you know, once it can start to reach more scale, it certainly presents a more of an infinite life for for recycling in plastic. Um, But I think, you know, oftentimes we look at this problem, I think, is there a technology solution? And as I mentioned, this it's where we work it's a it's a people operation and it's people and I think ultimately we need to change people's habits and people's understanding of plastic understanding of their footprint so I think a lot of it is going to be education so if technology can help educate consumers on on the way they use plastic and and where they can recycle or how they can recycle I think that would be hugely helpful Um, you know and maybe a little bit of going back to the old ways of, you know, we actually need to sort our plastic and separate our garbage. I think one of the one of the big problems is this single stream recycling has created uh, some issues with plastic recycling too. Indeed, yeah. Um, and, and final point, um, you mentioned earlier on that you're, I think you, you hinted that you're somewhat of an optimist. Um, I want to ask you about how optimistic you are for the future of our oceans, Ryan. And will we reach the point where there's more plastic in the ocean than fish as a, as a stat that's often parroted? Yeah, I, well, I certainly hope not. I mean, I think there are a lot of, a lot of promising developments. I mean, you know, you've mentioned Ellen MacArthur and, and there's some other organizations who I think are making real strides. I think there's a, um, uh, there's a, there's a, increased awareness among consumers right as to to what companies are doing and a lot of that is through social media right it's like it's very hard for companies to to do something and and or have some sort of environmental issue and it not get you know it not get out to the world um so i think that's helpful i think that you know um I've been told that prior to my involvement in recycling that you know their companies made commitments many years ago and then they sort of didn't follow through on them, but I think we're seeing a lot more follow through. I think that, uh, uh, you know, I think it is, I, I think there's a, it, it is hopeful. And, um, like I said, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't feel like there was some sort of hope for that and, and for the future, you know? Um, and, 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 and also I would say, uh, back to the technology thing, you know, there are other promising things of, you know, bioplastics and things like that too. 
Indeed, yeah. Um, bioplastics, indeed, uh, that's a, another for another topic of discussion, yeah, sure. maybe, because that raises sure. it, its own controversies. But indeed, great, great to hear that you're you're um, hopeful about the future. Ryan Shenicky, um, thank you so much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Great. Well, thanks for having us. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.